0: Hello, hello. Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. We are kicking off season two with Elena Agar, who is career coach, author, talent executive, and podcast host for Shift with Elena Agar. She also spearheads an organization called Bloom Youth, a nonprofit education platform made for youth to accelerate their talents. In this episode, we learn what are some of the biggest mistakes people make in interviews, how can people best position themselves during this period of layoffs, and... What was it like to move from Russia at 13? What did Elena do to build her confidence? The answer might just surprise you. Listen in to find out and enjoy this episode. Uh, welcome to relatable this is your host Teresa freeman and i have the distinct pleasure of meeting with elena agar today and elena was nice enough to have me on her podcast shift which we'll talk a little bit about in a bit uh, but i just wanted to thank you for that but also i am excited to talk with you as i was preparing for our interview i you know you've had such an interesting path and I feel like there's a lot that we could talk about that our listeners could benefit from. Let's let's start with where you are now and, and maybe give us a view into your path to this point, because I feel like you've you've had a lot of different pivots.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, always when, when people kind of do an introduction, it's very kind of you. I'm always like did I really plan all that? And I really didn't. I was just kind of just sticking to what I like. And, you know, so I, I hope whatever I share is going to be useful to people because I didn't have a plan. I just, it just yeah. kind of happened. But uh, what I do today is I'm the head of talent acquisition and development at a, at a um, small company in the Washington, D.C. area. And basically my job is to hire people and make sure those people stay and thrive with the company and just overall making sure they're like taken care of from a well-being perspective at work as well. Um, but before I got there, if you would have asked me when I was in my early, early, 20s um I would not imagine I'd be here for sure I don't know where I would be I actually was just jumping from job to job because I would want to try different things I didn't really have a clear clue of what I wanted to do I remember and I always tell the story because I think it's just so impactful for anybody who's listening and who's like you know I don't know what I'm supposed to do so when I was 19 and I was in my career guidance um office and he was like well what do you want to what do you want to do and I said I don't know I don't know what I'm having for dinner tonight or what I'm doing tomorrow you want me to figure out what job I'm gonna have like what major to pick and he said what do you like to do I said I like to talk to people I enjoy you know I would like to be able to travel one day I enjoy different cultures I enjoy just speaking with people right I knew I wasn't a nine-to-five behind-the-desk kind of person, not a numbers person, etc. And he said, okay, so he didn't really know what to do with me. Uh, ultimately, after changing my major five times, I have landed on international relations because it was the closest to kind of what I wanted to do, um, or what I enjoyed doing. And it was spot on, except you can't really get a job and those sort of things. And if, if people who are listening have taken this, you know, it's, it's a career that's very difficult to kind of get into um, in certain areas. But anyway... Um, so it doesn't give you any particular skill necessarily, but funny enough what I do today in my role and the various other hats that I wear is I do that I talk to people I, I get to travel I, I've done this globally over the last several years so it's the lesson here is you know if somebody's thinking like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing just stick to what you like yeah. you know and it it's it, what you enjoy what kind of comes naturally to you and I know it's 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 a very cliche kind of advice but it really does I feel works and, and it's not just my own story that I hear about that but anyway um, so and just to wrap up on my intro is I've worked various jobs. Uh, within different organizations, institutions, again, done this globally, uh, started in kind of higher education learning, got a little bit bored, decided to move towards corporate learning and ended up in this role that I am today. And mm-hmm. Had a, a bunch of pivots in between yeah. as well that we can talk about. <laughs> and where are you from? Like, where did you grow up? I grew up in Russia. I grew up in Russia, in the south of Russia. Then ultimately, we we're also in St. Petersburg up north. Uh, and I moved to the States when I was 13 at a very yeah. ripe age of 13, yeah. when a, a teenager is going through a lot of things. And on top of that, being thrown into a new country. So um, my parents had a blast with me. Let's yeah. put it that way.
0: Yeah. And, and given, you know, the, the sort of angst between our two countries, how, how was that to move here and to at that age? Was that a really challenging time for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was super challenging. I, I went from being a semi-popular kid in Russia and a very social kid to being a complete um, outsider, barely spoke English, didn't understand the culture, was yeah. picked on, bullied. Uh-huh. I didn't have friends for the first like probably six to eight months, at least six months that I came to the States when I was enrolled in school, became my own best friend very, best friend very quickly because of that. Yeah. Uh, um, spend a lot of time alone, uh, ultimately really shot on my, uh, like like the really kind of, um, what's the word? I'm not, uh, the, the, uh, shut down kind of my confidence, uh, if you want to call it that. And so, uh, it's, uh, it was, it was tough, but, um, made me probably more empathetic than I could have ever been without that experience. Yeah. I wasn't the most empathetic kid before that, strangely enough. So,
0: and then do you ever get back to visit or, or have you maintained here in the U S since you moved here at that time?
1: Yeah, so I went back to visit every year pretty much since I moved up until maybe like mid 20s. And then um, I was living kind of in, in the Middle East at that time. And my family would come visit me. It was just a much yeah. better vacation for them to come to me than me go to Russia. And of course, with the war starting and everything then yeah. I'm, I'm not, I don't I haven't yeah. really been in since the pandemic even. actually. Yeah. So
0: do you feel like I think that's interesting in terms of like you said, you, you kind of became your own best friend and and when you have to go through something like that, that's alienating or you, or you need to be resilient or your self-confidence is shot. What do you think helped you the most?
1: I, I'm I'm not sure looking back I, I, I don't I'm not gonna make things up I don't recall what helped me the most I think I don't know what was helpful at that time it was just a lot of bad experience yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so at that time I don't remember really what helped me the most um, it, I don't remember anything in particular. I was just going through it. I was just going through it. Like, yeah. I didn't really, I, I, I. like, I just really don't recall anything specific. What kind of really helped me pivot into being more social is when I got into high school, I joined a swim team. Hmm. And having that community helped me a little bit but i was still an outsider because in the states when you're part of a swim team it's um it's a very privileged and this is from at least from the high school that i went to it's a very privileged place where Parents usually would come from very wealthy backgrounds and they would host all these parties at homes like prior to swim meets. And then, you know, and and we had a small home like we didn't I couldn't really invite people over. Like we had a very humble upbringing and I felt left out because like the the team, it was it was expensive to be part of the team, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so I always felt like I was, you know, like as an immigrant, I was kind of missing that as well. Um, so it helped in some ways, but also kind of, again, exposed other insecurities in other ways like that from a, coming from a, like a humble background financially. It's interesting, too, when I think about all the work that you do, we'll talk a
0: little bit more about that. It feels like a lot of what you're doing is around helping people develop, helping them grow. You said that you're very from a talent uh, management perspective, like all things talent, like trying to help people. And I wonder if part of that stems from those experiences of feeling alienated and being able to like in your now career and in your life, be able to help ease other people's issues. And, you know, when you think about human resources and you think about talent, like we are the gatekeepers and often help people in terms of their experiences and how they transition into an organization or how they assimilate. So how do you think about that? Do you think there's some connection point there?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, um, Uh, now just you're you're mentioning it it's like I'm almost helping my 13 year old self my 16 year old self uh, yeah. Because I was always kind of the outsider, so I'm very and even like with the we can talk about that. But with my nonprofit Bloom Youth, I do a yes. lot of volunteer work with, with with kids that simply can't afford career services; they don't have access to it. This year, the big focus um, for us is also um, uh, foster care um, uh, kids, so kids aging out of foster care, low socioeconomic areas, and I feel like because those are the underdogs that they just don't know. And like like myself, I just didn't know. I didn't have access. Now. Knowing what I know now, you know, and that's the whole story. Like, I wish I would have known what I've known, you know, back yeah. then. And there's a time and a place for everything. But it's like, if I can just raise awareness, you know, create opportunities, at least share knowledge and access with, with, you know, people that just don't have it. I didn't have it. We didn't know. Like, we just, you know, we were just kind of trying to fit into the country. Weren't we weren't right. worried about careers and, you know, et cetera. So, um, so anyway so yeah absolutely i think it's just me feeding into my my younger self and uh trying to help that that child
0: yes for sure let's talk a little bit about acquisition so for some people that may not know talent acquisition is another word for recruiting (laughs) sometimes sometimes I say acquisition people look at me like what are you what are you talking about uh so from a recruiting perspective you said you lead recruiting there's a lot happening in the market right now with respect to layoffs there's a lot happening with people interviewing and trying to find roles you know let's start with the layoffs uh what Council, do you have wearing that acquisition hat? In terms of people that have just been laid off, what are some things they can do to help position themselves to, to be um, successful as they're kind of looking for the next role?
1: Mm. Uh, it's a great question. Um, so what I see, especially in the last few years, the changes that have occurred and I've kind of always had that mindset myself, but I also see this a lot in, in, in a lot of different people, a lot of clients that I work with and even people that I interview. It's just, you cannot rely on just one area of work anymore. And what I mean by that is like, it's great to be specialized. And for those that are listening that are maybe in specific like medical fields, like maybe, yeah, I get it. Like maybe you need to be specialized in certain things, but for the kind of, you know, people that are in marketing in um, uh, engineering fields in tech and in whatever industries, Looking at diversifying yourself and looking at you know creating other skill set that could be beneficial for the company. So that's separate, separate. One is that first piece where what else can I be doing, whether within the company or maybe externally, right? Like kind of really you know diversifying not only your skill set but potentially your income. Mm-hmm. Um, so look because now there's opportunities to do that for just about every industry out there. Like I, I mean, there's so many opportunities. You don't have to stick to one job. It really determines that do we really want to do that? And are you making time for that? That will help in terms of preparing you if something does happen to your job. But if you are working internally, you know, or if you feel like you might be being gained, laid off, also making sure, and I, I, this is a big conversation, but i just try to keep it sure. short, but making sure that your management, your leadership, you know, whoever you report to knows that you have other skills besides this one box that you're hired to do. Now in SMEs, like small, medium sized enterprises, it's easier to get into different departments and, and kind of offer right. your time and volunteer for let's say if you're an engineer, but you want to volunteer with a business development department, maybe from a sales engineering perspective. In larger organizations, it might be more difficult. But frankly speaking, Teresa, I have yet to come to a high performer who doesn't make sure that people know who doesn't like, kind of dip their toes in different areas. So when we're talking about high performance, those are the ones that we really should kind of strive towards. And high performance, I don't mean like you're just working all the time. It's, it's also just like maximizing on opportunities around you. Mm-hmm. If you're just doing your nine to five, and then, you know, all you do is just with that one layer of work. Yeah. Or for some people, you know, maybe they even work like four, six hours a day versus an eight hour day. If that's all you're doing then don't be surprised if you find yourself in a situation of a layoff or having trouble finding that next opportunity. You will find it, but it is but a difference between finding it within three to six months or six to 12 months or 12 months to 18 months, mm-hmm. right? So I think just looking at realistically, what, how are you making sure you're staying relevant? How are you making sure you're diversifying? How are you making sure that also people who need to know about the skill set and diversification that you're doing know about that mm-hmm. so that they can, instead of a lay-off, maybe they shift you to a different department because you have showcased the skills. And of course, you get people that are saying, well, my company's not paying me for this or they don't give me time to develop myself. Well, you know, that's life as well. Like it's, you cannot expect to, to work a nine to five and be, you know, having those opportunities you know, with somebody who is, let's say, putting in 12 hours or 13 hours a day because they're doing their eight, nine hour work and then three to five hours they're spending on their own personal development. Nobody's paying them for it, but right. they're preparing themselves. So I think just taking accountability or to summarize it, taking accountability and being proactive is probably going to position you much better when it comes to layoffs and if you do get laid off. Your good performance is going to get you interviews, uh, re- referrals, recommendations, and so on.
0: It's interesting. I, I, as you're talking, I think about adaptability to being able to, to your point around, like, you have, you, know, you have a set of skills. They might not be the ones that you're using right now in that role. I, it's interesting. We, I just was working with a client, and they've had to shift some things around. And there was someone in a very specific role, and that role was being changed and eliminated. And he he was a pie performer and had great relationships, and they they figured it out. And and again, like you said, small to mid size, maybe it's a little bit easier. But I think the other piece is those relationships and being adaptable, and just being able to move like and pivot with the with the situation. I love I love your advice there. And then what about on the interviewing front? So you know, I do a lot with interview coaching, and I I believe strongly in like in that you have this opportunity to present yourself in a way that actually does make a difference, whether or not you get the job. And I think a lot of people don't put enough investment or stock into interviews or even preparing for them. What do you see? Because you're the head of acquisition when you look, when you're interviewing people or your team's interviewing people, what are they seeing in terms of gaps or what are the areas that you're like, I cannot believe <laughs> that people are showing up like this. Like, let's get to the kind of the nitty-gritty of how people can really nail the interview, really. Teresa's new book, Soft Skills I Learned the Hard Way, is out and available on Amazon. She writes about many epic fails throughout her career and how she learned from them so you don't have to. This book is full of cheat codes for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get that promotion, or being a first-time leader. As always, thank you, Relatable Community. We are so grateful for your support and continued listenership. As of today, we are 15 countries strong. Now back to the show.
1: Yeah, Um, so I see I I interview people on almost daily basis. And so I've seen I've seen it all. some, Some of the biggest ones is just. Positioning yourself in a way that you feel that the that, that the company feels like you actually want to work there versus just looking for that next paycheck. I get very turned off from candidates who are not really coming prepared with a lot of questions. They they show so I I will give a chance to a candidate who cares about his his or her own career progression versus somebody who just asks me like very standard questions. The difference here is that. People who really truly care about their career progression, their questions are around like they really want to get to know the company culture. They really want to get to know the uh, career opportunity, career development opportunities available. They really get to know like, what is the team like? They ask good questions versus yeah. standard, you know, people that are just kind of looking for their next, next paycheck. It's very much like, OK, so, uh, you know, what's the project? how much is the pay? What are the benefits? And it's it's like, yes, we care about that too. Everybody should care about that. But what it shows me is that you only care about that. So you're not really even putting that much thought into your own career development, or at least that's what I'm assuming because you left it for me to assume that. Right. Because that's what you, that's how you position yourself. Um, another thing is just in the virtual world, and I'm in tech, so I see I deal with a lot of introverts and a lot of kind of people that are more analytical, so they don't necessarily have those extroverted social skills. But what I tell people that even if you're an introvert, you really got to put your best extrovert thirty minutes, whatever however long foot forward and part of that is making sure you dress appropriately for the interview like just because it's a tech company i don't expect you to show up in a suit and a tie but don't show up in a hoodie right. you know what i mean like don't show up in a hoodie like show up in a you know like a business casual kind of style um also f- taking it on the phone i understand situations happen but you know that call is a video or people say oh i didn't realize it was a video look at the invite it does say hey it's a video call come prepare so paying attention to these little details mm-hmm. because. You're just, that you're just—that means you're 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 not paying attention to details. You're not prepared. You didn't spend time to be like, okay, am I ready for this? It's like little basics mm-hmm. that are concerning. Or you know, and again, this is this is small, but it's a, it it usually usually Teresa surprisingly, when you see these them missing these small things, and sure, life happens, but right. unless you have a good excuse, but it shouldn't be like, oh, I just I didn't pay attention or something like that. And usually, you after the conversation you also see like, okay, I see how this choice that this person made by not showing up and dressed accordingly. The rest of the conversations also, you can start to see different gaps. And part of it is like being in a different time zone. So when I interview candidates that are in central time or West coast, and I've had people like, oh, I didn't realize it was at 1 PM. Like, yeah, it's 1 PM Eastern. So if your calendar doesn't doesn't uh, you know uh, mm-hmm. adjust to that. You know the company is based in DC area, so that should click like, hey, like I need to double check that, right? So especially for certain roles. So I know I'm picking, but these things no. make an impact because these are the few seconds in the beginning that I'm like, oh, or people taking their uh, uh, um, uh, calls in their car on the phone. Again, if you have a good excuse, I'll take it. But a lot of times it's not a good excuse. Or sitting down with your kind of when you... It looks like you have your phone or your laptop in your lap. And it's almost like for those Uh, people who are listening, it's almost like as if you were looking down. And all I see is your head and your. Or seat. like,
0: you up, you know, yeah. yeah.
1: So just, you know, the basics of digital communication is speaks volumes because it's sh- because if I'm, you know, for any role today, you're going to be talking with clients, internal clients, external clients. I need you to be able to present to me. And if you are showing up like this to an interview where you should put your best foot forward, I assume you should have prepared for it and you don't come prepared. That's a big turnoff. And so, uh, the, you know, and there's a lot of tips out there, like, you know, Google. That's another thing that drives me crazy. Like, Google, ask ChatGPT. What are the top 10 things I need to do preparing for the interview? Like, you know, it's like common sense. And the the final thing is staying in touch and sending maybe even a thank you or a follow-up Um uh, staying connected, not ghosting. That's another thing. Like candidates will, I'll have an interview and then they'll ghost me or, um, you know, or if, or they just don't show up. It's your name. It's mm-hmm. your name. And it's a small, small world. And, you know, and you, we usually remember, Mm-hmm. Bad experience. So we're, it's, that name is probably going to stick if it was a bad experience. And equally, it's going to stick if it was a good one. And in the world of recruitment, it's a small world as well. And so when people reach out to me like, Hey, I saw this person, I mean, you know, was interested in your company or do you know this? I know you're hiring for the same role. Have you come across any good candidates? And this is where I tell other recruits, I'm like, yeah, actually, you know, I wasn't able to hire this person, but he was really good. Why don't you talk to him? So again, reputation, think yeah. about your reputation when you're interviewing. I love that you know it takes
0: 20 times to undo a bad first impression so interviews I would say largely certainly the first interview is all about that first impression because it sets the table for you then to even want as an interviewer to want to listen to them uh in terms of their credibility and what they're bringing and the other thing I loved what you said is that intentionality of at least pretend like you want it (laughs) like at least you know that effort comes through so even if you're not sure and maybe you're not. Maybe you're not sure if you you want it or not. But put all your best foot forward so that you can get the outcome, and then make the decision. Versus leaving someone questioning whether or not you really want to be
1: there yeah. for sure. And what what I also find interesting, I think a lot of candidates look at it from their perspective versus from the perspective uh, of
0: recruit. Oh my god! So the hiring manager. Yes. Totally. And it's like,
1: as a hiring manager, if I'm interviewing somebody who has two people who have the exact same resume, great background, all those things that tick in the box. Who do you think I'm going to hire? I'm going to hire somebody who is actually interested. I'm going to hire somebody who asks good questions. I'm going to hire somebody who can have a nice conversation. The personality fit matters. The culture fit matters. So doing your homework about the company culture. Yeah. Um, and 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 I know that people get nervous, but what I always advise that is like, you should know your scripts so well the the you know to talk about your experience you should know exactly what you've done and you need to practice it over and over again record yourself on audio and video so that way you come off smoother versus like answering questions just to tick the box because and i get it because it comes from nervousness but the way you prepare again is practice 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 yes um so that it just comes off natural that 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 piece is very important in interviews in general Love it. Oh, my gosh. I,
0: love, I could talk to you about that all day.
1: Uh. <laughs>
0: so, tell me a little bit about shift, your podcast. Tell me what your what your objective is with that podcast and and a little bit. I, I think it's a you've been at it maybe two and a half years. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's been a couple of years. You know, every time I interview, I, I always tell my partner, I'm like, I just love this podcast. Like, I just love meeting these people. It is phenomenal. Um, I've started this as, um, back in 2020, as so many podcasts did, I'm just, you know, yeah. being in a pandemic. Just having conversations because I, I was always a person who would always just talk to people and network and kind of have chats. And and my business partner at that time was like, you should really start recording your conversations. Because I would then go and tell him, be like, oh my God, I talked to this person. They said this, yeah. etc." And so it started off as helping people overcome challenges when it comes to change. But then what, and it still kind of has that theme, like mm-hmm. kind of getting out of your comfort zone. And as, as I've kind of started chatting with people, I've realized that the theme that comes out is that there is no one way to do things. That change is different for everybody. And it's all about how can you do small pieces every day, small habits you can create for whatever goal you have, whether it's change, whether it's entrepreneurship, whatever well being. And so now this whole thing was just like helping you be 1% better, which is really tied in with the, uh, with the uh, uh, small habits approach the tiny habit approach, Mm -hmm. the habit creation. So it's really about that. Um, So a lot of my guests are people who've made drastic changes, who've done awesome things um, within the um, uh, entrepreneurship or Mm -hmm. um, kind of performance talent space. The other day, I talked to a guy who is one of three people in the world to cross the Pacific Ocean in a kayak. Oh in a kayak gosh. over 90 day journey. I think it was ninety days or seventy. I think it was ninety, I forget. Ninety days just by himself in oh a kayak.
0: My gosh.
1: What would inspire somebody <laughs> to do that? I don't know. But it did. And listen, yeah. that but that podcast has yet to come out. But you know, right. so it's like you get to meet and you like talk when you talk about resilience and, and, and when you when you listen to that to to those kind of stories and how he prepared for it, I can see how so much of that preparation can help us be better in a corporate world and our careers and entrepreneurship because it just all comes down to mindset what we do day in and day out and habits yes I
0: love it, and you can find it on uh, YouTube, right? And it's, you remind us, it's The Shift, or is it just yeah, Shift? It's,
1: it's, just, it's The Shift with Elena Agar. It's okay. on YouTube, it's on Apple, it's on Spotify. Perfect, yes.
0: Everybody check it out, because it's really good. And you know, there's one great guest named Teresa Freeman on there. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> okay, and then uh, the other thing is I was trolling you, the beautiful thing about the internet and being able to look at you and, and your path. I was intrigued by your master's in uh, or your certificate, I should say, at George yeah. Mason in neuroscience. And I have been, I would say in the last maybe five years, so it's pretty recent for me, just understanding the power of neuropathways and how it's not a surprise, I think I've said it on on here before, I'm in my 50s and how much, was predetermined based on things that happened to me early on and how those neuropathways were set and that you actually have power to change those. So I'm I'm fascinated by it when I saw that you uh, have that certificate. I, I think I'd like to frame the question to you in terms of our audience and people listening, like what is something that you learned in that process that you think was like the big shock or an aha moment that you think could benefit listenership, just in terms of understanding how they work and operate?
1: Yeah, so I'm still completing that certificate. Okay. I do have another certificate that is the same one, but it was neuroscience and coaching as well oh, yeah. that I did in 2017 at Columbia University, which was phenomenal if anybody's interested there. They have the, these two schools have some of the best labs when it comes to ah. um, neuroscience in general. So I was approaching it, of course, from a non-clinical perspective. Mm-hmm. It was more of like, how how can neuroscience research help us in behavior change in individuals? Yes. And I, I mean, every class I'm like, I walk away and I'm like, What? And you just you realize how little you know about your own brain, your own structure. It's just phenomenal. Um, but anyway, um, so some of the biggest takeaways for me so far have been really understanding that how we react and behave is not only in that situation. So the reactions and the the behaviors and the the kind of conditioning that has been done goes beyond that situation a year or even two years ago, even 10 years, it really goes much deeper. So really understanding how it's all connected, how everything that you've done, that you've said that you heard and listened to really made you to come to to make decisions today because of how your brain is wired. And the beautiful part about it is that you can actually rewire your brain by recognizing that certain patterns are not serving you anymore. And a big, like a, a simple example would be just understanding why career change is so scary or why starting something new is so scary that is because biologically we are wired to be afraid of change and and not because we're so we're like scary cats because our brain's ultimate job is to uh, avoid avoid pain and seek pleasure right so when we see any kind of change, it's a threat to us. And then we go into like a, run, a flight or, um, fight, or flight. A fight or flight mode, right? And so just understanding that and understanding that all the physical reactions that happen when you get nervous, when you start sweating, when you're doing things or when your heartbeat increases, it doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. It just, it just alerts your body that something is happening. What often we see is that, we usually run away from that thing because we're like, no, this doesn't feel right. And sometimes, you know, it's it it's might not be the right decision, but 90% of the time it's just based on fear that is biologically engraved in us yes. to be that way. So I think just recognizing that your brain has a mind on its own, literally, and that if you're not in tune with it, and if you're not in tune and recognizing these patterns, mm-hmm. these, these fear kind of um, triggers, and knowing that you are actually lashing out on somebody not because you angry at them because it triggered something else in you or because you're afraid of embarrassment or failure um, or you don't want to make a change because you're uh, you're you're you don't think you can do it so i think and i know it sounds simple but but those that are listening just think about how many times you ran away from a decision or a choice or whatever it may be because actually the root cause of why you made a certain choice or decision wasn't because of that surface reason whatever it may be. actually deep down is the root cause and usually it comes down to that fight or flight mode which is the fear. Yes. Um so anyway but I, I can go on for hours I, about that but just yeah it's love just it. phenomenal. Um I love yeah. it.
0: And I'm I'm actually it's so interesting just timing of the, the conversation because I'm really interested right now in fear and how fear drives so much behavior and to your point about how it manifests differently for different people so you can look at someone and i think they're never afraid right you could you because we all look at other people and try to benchmark what we do i mean we're all humans right we do that the interesting thing is what what makes you afraid or what you are you know what may be an obstacle to you is just very different from someone else and they've got their own stuff going on so just understanding for your own self like what is it that's getting in the way? And what? And I love what you said about like making a decision. And when you reflect back, like how many times have you not done a thing because of that agita of like, oh, I can't do it. And I, I just think that there's, if you push through it, the beauty's on the other side for so many reasons. Because yeah. then it is cha- isn't that what actually changes the pathway? It's like, oh, wait, I can do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and uh, an important point also in neuroscience is that it's, it's possible to make a change. It just you have to make the change easy. So there's this this kind of formula that they mm. use in terms of you can change a behavior. But why is it that most New Year's resolutions don't work? Is because we try to make too big of a change that is not brain friendly. So you have to think like how 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 is this change? How can I make this change friendly for my brain so that my brain doesn't freak out and talk me out of it? And the way you do it is by small baby steps. So for example, in um a uh, career change let's just use that as yes. a stamp that's relevant for many people so in a career change it, it, you don't need to jump off the ship because when people think oh i need to change career all of a sudden they 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 start to you know they they don't even start it i deal with a lot of clients that that i'm like okay well have you what have you done to career oh nothing so what's stopping you from Well, I just don't think I can do it. But what have you done to explore if you can actually do it or not? So they already talked themselves out because in their mind, it's like, oh my God, it's going to completely change my life. I'm going to be, I have to change everything. No, you just have to start baby steps. Maybe once a week, spend an hour exploring. Yes, how, how have other people made a change maybe spend an hour exploring what would you want to do nobody's saying change career tomorrow but just every you know mini steps like what can you do or daily spend 10 minutes maybe reading something that interesting to you maybe um, one hour a week you spend talking to somebody who's doing something you might want to be doing so really just minimizing the risk of that failure which will hopefully I, it probably will minimize the fear factor for you because a lot of times we're afraid because it's the unknown mm-hmm. but we don't have to go into unknown full on and drop everything behind us, but it's like what many steps can you create to help you feel more comfortable with decision and as you're making those steps you're going to start to see the picture come together and you're going to and the fear of it ultimately is going to go away and you're going to make the change but it's what you do every day every week every month it's not what you do once in a while because it's like training a muscle it's like when you go to the gym and the first day you train a muscle you're sore it gets better and better same thing with our brain it's a muscle that you can train And baby steps that are friendly to it.
0: Love it. So good. (laughs) I think, too, the action, just sometimes taking action. It's just like that propels you and gives you motion, right? For sure. Absolutely. Uh, All right. So let's talk a little bit about, you had mentioned it before. I want to make sure that we give it some airtime because I think it's really cool what you're doing. Talk a little bit about your volunteer work and some of the um, projects that you're involved in there. We are busy scheduling Relatable interviews for 2023, and we love our Relatable community. If you or someone you know would be a good guest for Relatable, let us know. You can send an email to info at tfasoftskills.com. Include the potential guest name and contact information. Please send all suggestions to info at tfasoftskills.com.
1: Sure. So I I I volunteer. I've been volunteering for for, for many years, and just not I didn't even consider it volunteers. Just people would ask, you know people would reach out and be like yeah, let's have a chat. So it mm-hmm. just kind of came naturally, and again goes back to to me feeding into my 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 own self when I was a teenager and wishing somebody would would do that for me. Um, so I was always volunteering kind of with with young people, um, just naturally because of my roles, um, because of my LinkedIn profile, people tend to reach out to me. So if it's something that's like, you know, just like a quick chat, I'm always willing to, to talk and see if I can just offer some some insights or, or guidance. And I've also been volunteering with universities um, for, for quite some time because one, I just find it fascinating in general to see how young people are thinking about their next moves. Um, As a recruiter, it's interesting to me. And then just naturally part of those conversations, you start to see different trends and themes among young people and you start to see gaps. So that really kind of pivoted me to really intentionally start reaching out to schools and say, hey, like, you you know, if you you have a career fair coming up or if you need a speaker, like, sign me up, I'll volunteer my time. uh, Let's talk about it. Um, I've also started volunteering but maybe a, a little bit over a year ago, maybe two years I don't remember now but with uh, Veterati which is a platform that helps veterans transition to corporate jobs and that's been fascinating as well because again you know it just it, it just makes you realize that not just young people but even people in mids and senior of their careers, job search is not something anybody really, it teaches us, and yeah. it's it's scary, and it's not always, you know, those resources are not always accessible to people, not everybody can afford it, and, you know, and if that's what I can do for our veterans, beautiful. <laughs> and then Bloom Youth, which is the, the nonprofit that kind of, I made more official over the last year, is really focused this year on servicing youth that are uh, from low socioeconomic areas, and youth that are aging out of foster care. There's different pro- uh, kind of programs that I'm, I'm, I'm involved with. And essentially that to me is, a, is important um, because again, I think just helping the underdog and and mm-hmm. it's heartbreaking to me that when I see people that come to me as now clients in my coaching practice at mid-level or senior level, I'm like, how are we not having these conversations earlier on? And furthermore people you know like foster care kids for example they don't even have access to it and you know and and i feel like they should like i feel Mm -hmm. like everybody should so it's just it's just i don't know it's just a thing that i want to do that i'm doing and luckily enough i also have a whole lot of people that feel the same way so now there's many of us um that are going to be doing these mentorship things and really just anything from career development to you know, how do I pursue an education that might fit my financial plans better? Um, so I I don't know I just I just feel like we should be doing more of that and it's and for me it's it's heartbreaking to see people at mid or senior level of their career that just never had these conversations before yeah. or forgot because the, nobody pinged them and time went by and it's much more difficult to make that change later on and um, I I don't know I am now I'm going down the rabbit hole but I just <laughs> I just relate very much and I just want to if I'm able to add some kind of piece of knowledge to those people and maybe change their career projection. That's what I would like to do.
0: Yeah. And I love the name uh Bloom Youth. I think that's such a clever, like it's it's right, you know, you know what it is right away. So it's great. And I know I I think you and I emailed about this. I, I definitely want to help out. So I'll I'll yeah. need to follow up on that. But um I, I think you're right. And it's interesting. There's something about the young people and being able to connect early so that even if it's just planting a couple of seeds. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're going to boil the ocean, you know, you're not going to solve right. everything, but the idea of like access to information, access to something that maybe they wouldn't otherwise hear, having people that are in the world, the working world now and able to translate what that is to someone at that age, like that, it's almost like we're, you know, it's that, that translation that's really helpful too. So they start, you know, again, just start to plant the seeds, start to think about like, what are the things that matter and how can you be effective? I just think it's so important for sure. Mm. For sure. Yeah.
1: And, and uh, furthermore, for me, it's also just, I see so many people unsatisfied with their jobs yeah. and I just don't, and I think, yes, there's certain situations that just, it is what it is and, and not everybody has the same access. And some sometimes that even if you plant a seed, certain things that are in place, at least in the U.S. and many countries around the world that just block access for people, um, particularly people from low socioeconomic areas and, and from certain backgrounds, that's a reality. But there is a big percentage of the people that can, you know, change that for themselves. And there's a big percentage of people that can create opportunities for themselves and can create that career where they can thrive. And to me, it's like a full circle because if you're spending hours and hours in a job that drains you you're going to be not only physically but also mentally and emotionally drained which then impacts your well-being which then impacts your your health overall which then impacts the health of your future kids or your, your partner yeah. and how you you know it's like a full thing it's it's a whole thing so and 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 i think that if we can just you know aim to have as many people enjoy and thrive in their careers and not just look at it as a job and a paycheck, which I understand some people, it's just what it is. Um, There are, there are certain things that, you know, it's just what it is, but I think a lot of people don't have to be in that situation. Yeah.
0: Or do the, what it is. And then while you're doing that, like you were saying before, you know, start to pick away at like what if this isn't make your heart sing, start to do some reflection what does and then you know baby steps to try to while you are kind of in the job that maybe you wouldn't otherwise select or you kind of feel like you have to be there uh, for sure just really quick for bloom youth where do people like if they want to help or they want to contribute or what how do they find more about that where do they go
1: Yeah, so it's just bloomyouth.org. Okay. uh, bloomyouth.org or reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's there. You can just connect with me. Cool.
0: Awesome. All right.
1: So uh, we taught you, you asked me
0: this when we met, but now I get to turn the tables on you Mm -hmm. in terms of soft skills. And I think you and I had a great conversation. I know we're already aligned and there's a kinship between us on this front. Given what you do and the path you've taken, if you had to pick, one or two soft skills that are really critical uh, for people and their success, what would they be?
1: So I used to say, so I'll tell you what I used to say, but now I have a better answer. I used to say self-awareness because I felt like that's what a lot of people lack, continuous self-awareness. But I think, and I'm like, well, but how? it's difficult to be self-aware if you don't really, we don't know what we don't know. And And then I realized that the best way to become self-aware is to get yourself into experiences. So experiment with jobs, experiment with um, um, whatever, uh, even volunteer opportunities. Creating experiences for yourself will give you those soft skills like self-awareness, like uh, people skills, the social skills. It will help you identify your strengths and weaknesses. So I, I feel just putting yourself in a position where you're curious, Mm -hmm. especially for young people where nobody's really going to judge you if you're jumping from job to job. Like you don't need to have it figured out. You don't need to go to a full-time job after you graduate from college. You don't need to go to a four-year school after high school. So experimenting and what feels right at that moment um, and change and just creating those, the more of those experiences you can create, the the more all those soft skills that we talk about are going to be amplified love it
0: I love it through experiences I think you're absolutely right it's being able to use those experiences because it does change how you see things you have information that you didn't have before and then it and it makes you a more interesting person (laughs) so you have more to talk about the more that you're involved in and the more that you do for sure and then um the last thing is around in terms of when you think about your own path and your own journey Uh, and you were to give advice to young Elena, uh, you know, what would you tell her that could make the path just a little bit easier? Uh, Maybe, you know, areas where you were challenged or had some
1: difficulties, what, what would you say to her? I would say not to judge yourself based on certain experiences. I think that was detrimental for me. I've had certain experiences that made me very insecure very unsure of myself that then led to me making certain decisions and choices based on those insecurities based versus who i truly am in my core so i think that recognizing that an experience doesn't make you or break you you know and yeah. um and that everybody deserve like I, th- I feel like everybody in the world i mean unless you're like you know a serial killer or something, <laughs> but everybody else in the world, you know, yeah. know what people deserve, you know, um, respect and love. And the first person that's going to give it to you is yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and understanding that if you don't give yourself that respect and love, it's very difficult to attract people, whether friends or romantic partners that are going to give that to you.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you're talking, it's like the idea of um, you are not your failures i think sometimes we we identify so much with the things we do or don't do versus like you are not like you are separate from the things you do or don't do <laughs> like you just as a being are enough and it's really gosh it's so hard to remember that and to not mm-hmm. get consumed by the things that you wish you had done better or the things you know it's like whenever you think about performance reviews. And mm-hmm. I've done this my whole, you know, people sit down and I will not even register the positives. I'm just, I, I don't even like take it in. It's like, give me the, give me the things that I'm like not doing well. And what, you know, and then I just fixate and grind on that. So it's just, it's such a good reminder to, to, to stay aware of that and to mm-hmm. kind of be that voice that like as a counterpunch to, to where we kind of naturally visit and go. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Um, The last thing I want to ask you, just because I I feel like I just before I let you go, you know, I've noticed in your path, we didn't talk a lot about it, but just in terms of your being an entrepreneur, I feel like you have this entrepreneurial spirit and a lot of what you're doing. And so tell me just a little bit about Given that you've been at it for so long, you've started different businesses, you started a nonprofit, you're, you still have your own business and you're working with another organization. What are some of the things that have served you well as you've built out your own businesses? You know, what... If people are just starting out, I have a good friend who's just left her, she's in higher education, she just left her full-time job. She wants to start her own consulting firm and it's terrifying. So when you think about your path as an entrepreneur, what advice do you have that that you could give to people to help them out?
1: You don't need a business plan Yeah. <laughs> to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, there's, so, there's so many. I, I think if I were to give a, a useful one is just, I mean, I know it's repetitive, but just experimenting because you really don't know. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's never going to be perfect. You can't, you know, no matter how great your business plan looks. First of all, I don't even recommend having a business plan. You know, just just starting off small, you know, yeah. and that's just from my experience, at least starting off small. Um, I did I did have a um, small business with a business partner and we had a small team as well um, uh, in the past. And what that experience taught me is that I don't really want to have a a huge company. Like, I don't need that. I don't need to have a team. I just wanted to, I wanted to create. I wanted to be an independent kind of creator and work with other partners, work with freelancers. But I didn't need to be this entrepreneur. I didn't need to have this, you know, thriving startup or company. And that's what I've learned through my experience, but I would not have learned that until I went through it. I'm like, wait, that's not me. And actually I, I, I do have that entrepreneurial spirit. I've always had it. But I don't but it, it it means different things to different people. Some people want to grow a multi billion dollar mm-hmm. company or like a million dollar company and they want to have this team and they want to do all these things. For me, I just want to do what I enjoy. I want to create. I don't want to be put in a in a in a hole in a box because yeah. I get very bored and I start to get antsy. <laughs> um so I think as long as I'm creating, I'm monetizing, I'm adding value, you know, I'm finding a way to give back to the community. That's what I found. Um, that's fits for me right now it might change five years from now or two years from now but so far that's kind of where I really feel like you know and and that's why I'm also thriving and I see a lot of things come more naturally to me but you won't get there until you experience it so go through whatever experience you need to don't be afraid to fail like and again like sounds cliche but that's what it is like you just have to try things and for me most importantly is that I'm I'm practicing all those things that I'm talking about. And this is one way for me to experiment in my own way about diversifying income, diversifying my experience and skill sets. Because I think as an entrepreneur, I've learned so much about marketing, about sales, about <laughs> a lead generation, about um, uh, uh, building teams, about managing stakeholders. So, so many skills you learn, self-awareness. Um, I mean, endless, endless skills. And so that's part of my journey to make sure that I stay relevant mm-hmm. and that I'm continuing to grow. Um, now I'm dipping my toes into something else, which I'm curious how it's going to turn out. So I'm actually, I've been into fitness my whole life. Like it's a, it's a passion of mine. So I'm actually decided to make it official and become a, like a personal trainer. So I'm getting certified right now. Nice. And now I'm looking Congrats. to see how I can, yeah, how I can like match performance and careers with physical performance and how I can help people. Beyond that, because I think those two are so interconnected and there's a clear relationship between physical and mental performance um, and how we show up at work. So that's my next thing to see. I love it.
0: I love it. Well, we'll have to connect
1: again because I feel
0: like you're just into so many great things. And I've really enjoyed being on the other side of the table in terms of being able to interview you and learn more about you. I just appreciate the time. Thanks for being here and uh, for talking with me. It's been great.
1: Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you, Elena, for coming on the show and sharing your experience and expertise with our listeners. Highlights for me include informing your leadership of all your skills, not just what you were hired for. When interviewing, show you really want the job. Don't just show up for getting a job. (laughs) Ask great questions, not just those standard ones. Stay curious, respect yourself, and shed those insecurities. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and Hannah for your support. A big thank you to our relatable community. We continue to grow our audience and so appreciate all of our listeners who have stayed with us. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.